This morning, we're wrapping up that series, and we're going to be looking at the last chapter of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. Not going to read every single verse, but we'll start in verse 1, and we'll be reading various verses throughout the chapter. Joshua 24, verse 1. How many of you know that not everyone who claims to be a leader is really a leader? Have you noticed that? Let me give you an example. In North Korea, the official title that is used by the people for their president, Kim Jong-un, is dear leader. Not just leader. He's called dear leader. And one of the ways he asserts his leadership over the people is by claiming to do incredible things. For example, he claims to have photographic memory. He says that he can recite every single phone number and who it belongs to that he's ever seen. He claims to write operas and fly fighter jets and produce movies. According to North Korean media, he claims that the very first time he ever bowled, he scored a perfect 300. And he says that the very first time he ever played a game of golf, he scored 11 holes in one. <laughs> now, if you believe any of that, please come talk to me after the service. I have a little business transaction I'd like to discuss with you. Listen, a real leader is not a totalitarian dictator with an enlarged ego. If you want to know what a leader really looks like, you probably won't find a better example anywhere than this man, Joshua. It was Joshua who took over after Moses died. It was Joshua who led Israel into the promised land. And in our scripture this morning, Joshua gathers the other leaders of Israel together because he wants to address them one final time. He's getting ready to die. He knows he's getting ready to die. The Bible says he was 110 years old. And not only that, he was 110 years old at a time in history when Moses has said man will live 70 or 80 years. So he knows he's well past his time. And he has one final sermon that he wants to preach before God calls him home. He has some things that he wants to say to the people that are heavy on his heart. Joshua reminds us that you really don't have to be an elected official to be a real leader. You don't have to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company to be a real leader. You don't have to have a title to, have to be a real leader. But you do have to be faithful. And I believe that now more than ever before... We desperately need godly leaders in our nation, in our government, in our homes, our schools, our churches. Leaders who are willing to stand for God and the truth of God's word no matter the cost. 
And as we read this final chapter of Joshua, we're going to see some of the ways in which he demonstrated courageous leadership for Israel. I want you to notice, first of all, that he reminded them of their story. He reminded them of their story. Look at verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. So you have elders, heads, judges, officers. In other words, leaders on every level. And they presented themselves before God. Notice that Joshua called them to Shechem. Shechem was a major intersection in the center of the nation, which is interesting because as we're going to see in a moment, Israel was at a crossroads. Israel was at an intersection spiritually. And Joshua calls them to Shechem because this is where it all started. Uh, It was in Shechem that God told Abraham, this is it. This is the land that I'm going to give to your descendants. It was in Shechem back in chapter 8 that the people vowed that they would be faithful to the Lord. That was before they took the promised land. Now it's after. So Joshua is going to call them back to make a recommitment because sometimes we need to go back and reaffirm a previous commitment that we already made. He calls them together so he can remind them of their story. Let's look at some of that story in verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Now, I'm not going to read the entire story, but I want you to notice what Joshua does here. He summarizes about hundred years of Israel's history in just 12 verses. It's interesting, in Joshua chapter 24, Israel's history was already twice, it was already double our history here in the United States. Now, he obviously doesn't mention everything that happened during that time. He doesn't give them every single detail, but he hits some of the highlights. He's not telling them anything they didn't already know. They were already familiar with this story, but he's repeating the story to them in such a way so as to emphasize God's role in the story. 17 times in these 12 verses, God speaks in the first person, and in the Hebrew, there is emphasis on the word I. God says, I did blank. In other words, you didn't do it. I did it. God said, 
I led Abraham. I multiplied him. I brought Moses and Aaron. I led you out of Egypt. I divided the Red Sea. I brought you into the land. And so as he's retelling the story, there's this emphasis again and again on the grace of God. He reminds them that their ancestors used to be a bunch of pagan idol worshipers. He reminds them that there wasn't anything particularly special about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God would choose them. He reminds them of that time when a prophet named Balaam, remember that story in Numbers 22? He was going to curse Israel, but every time he opened his mouth, instead of a curse coming out, a blessing came out. It's like he's saying, this is how God has dealt with you. He just keeps blessing you over and over again. He reminds them that God is the one who fought their battles for them. There's a real interesting detail in all of this that sometimes we pass over at the very beginning of verse 12. Notice it says, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Back in Exodus chapter 23, and again in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God had promised that before his people went in the promised land and began to fight those battles, he would send hornets in ahead of them in order to weaken their enemies before they even fought them. And sure enough, God did it. It's like God said, I'm going to soften them up for you. I still remember that time, my junior year in high school, when I was stung by a hornet. Let me tell you, uh, after being stung a few times, I don't think I'd be in a fighting mood either. By the way, isn't it good to know that you will never enter a battle in which God was not already there fighting before you even arrived? Look at verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. He's emphasizing the fact that they did not contribute anything to this victory which they now get to enjoy. And just to to emphasize the point, he says, not even the houses you did not build, not even the vineyards, not even the groves you did not plant. Oh, yes, God sent them in. God used them, but they didn't do it. God did it. And he's reminding them everything, everything you have is because of grace. That was true for them, and it's true for us. We remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace through faith you are saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Just like Israel and Joshua 24, we don't contribute anything to our salvation. We have nothing in which to boast. Joshua is reminding them of their story because he knows what will happen if we ever forget our story. If we allow ourselves to forget our story, we may forget whose story it really is. And I have a secret for you. It's not really our story. It's his 
story. It's not about us, and it never was. It's God's story, and we just get to be in it. But if we're not careful, if we don't take a trip down memory lane every now and then, we might start to give ourselves credit instead of giving God glory. And so Joshua stands before them, and the first thing he does is he reminds them of their story, but then he does something else, and this is so important. He calls them to a decision. He called them to a decision. Look at verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. You will notice 15 times in this sermon, Joshua talks about serving the Lord. This is a major theme in his sermon. To serve him in this sense means to serve him faithfully. It means to worship him and him alone. Joshua said, serve him. Notice this, in sincerity and in truth, because you need both. Sincerity by itself is not enough. You can be sincerely wrong. And folks, there are some things you can't afford to be sincerely wrong about. Sincerity must be accompanied by truth because what you believe is just as important as how sincerely you believe it. I want you to notice it wasn't enough for Joshua just to encourage the people to serve the Lord. No, he is actually calling them to make a decision to serve the Lord. He's saying, do it now. He said, put away your false gods there's a lot of debate about what false gods Joshua was referring to, and perhaps there were some of the people, maybe a few of them, still had a few of those old idols that they were hiding or harboring uh, in their homes. Maybe that's what Joshua was talking about, but I think there's something that is bigger that is going on here. You see, even though Israel had entered the promised land five times in Joshua, and nine times in the book of Judges, the Bible says that Israel or some tribe of Israel did not drive the inhabitants out as God had told them to. There were still those pockets of resistance here and there scattered out. Usually they were small, maybe some city, maybe some village, some hard-to-reach place well fortified. And over and over again, you know what the Israelites said? Eh, you know what? We're going to leave those guys alone. We won't mess with them. They won't mess with us. It's not worth it to drive them out. And besides, what's the harm? Well, they found out later that there was much harm because eventually those pagans that remained in the land they did influence Israel, and before long, Israel was worshiping the same gods, and they were committing and imitating the same wicked ways. I read this, and I wonder if maybe there's some pockets of resistance in our lives this morning. Maybe you're serving the Lord, mostly, 
Maybe you're being faithful to God, usually. But there's that one area, there's that one stronghold you've allowed the enemy to have in your life and maybe you've just fallen into the habit of ignoring it. Maybe it's that relationship you shouldn't be in or the entertainment you shouldn't be viewing. That one part of your life, that one area that is not truly yielded to the Lord. Never underestimate how that one area can grow and eventually take over your life. This is why we always have to be on the offensive. I remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I die daily. Every day we put to death those false gods in our lives, those things in us that receive the devotion that only God deserves. I believe Joshua told the people to put away their false gods, not just because there may have been some false gods among them, I think he was preaching not only to the people in front of him. I believe Joshua was preaching to those future generations as well. He knew that they might be tempted to turn to those same false gods and commit the same evil deeds for which God judged Canaan. And so knowing that, notice what he does in verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice what Joshua did not say. He did not say, choose whether you will serve because everyone is going to serve someone or something whether they know it or not. The choice is not whether to serve. The choice is whom you will serve. I read a story about one of our missionaries. He was in Africa and he was talking about the difficulty of going to another country and learning uh, another language. He was serving in Ghana, and he discovered as he was learning the language that the only way to translate what is your religion is to ask the question, whom do you serve? In that culture, they understood. It was literally built into the language that whomever you actually serve is your true God. Whether it's the God of self or whether it's the God of power or money or pleasure, everyone will serve some God. Joshua knows he can't speak for everyone. He can't decide for all of them who they are going to serve, but he knows he can speak for himself and he can speak for his family. And so in verse 15, you have one of the boldest statements that ever a man made. I don't know how many times I've gone into the home of a Christian brother or sister, how many times I've been in your homes, and I wonder how many of you even have Joshua 24, 15 hanging on your... Raise your hand. I'm curious. How many of you have Joshua 24, 15 hanging on your wall? Okay, not all. A number of you do. And you know what? How appropriate that is. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. 
In other words, if everybody else turns away, we will serve the Lord. If the rest of you, Joshua said, choose to serve these other gods, we will serve the Lord. If it costs us everything, even our lives, we will serve the Lord. I wonder who are those who will say in 2022, we will serve the Lord. We desperately need some Joshua's who will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But notice that it starts with me. As for me and my house, the only reason why Joshua could say my house is because he first said as for me, Joshua could not commit his family to do something that he had not committed himself to do. And so let me say, especially to you husbands and you fathers, you can't lead them where you haven't been. You cannot make a decision for your family that you have not already made for yourself. It starts with you. And let me tell you, right now, this world in which we live, it desperately needs the kind of children that will come from a home in which a godly leader stood up and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, back in the old days, many years ago, when a person wanted to challenge someone else to a fight, you remember what they would do? Walk up to them, take off their glove, and then just toss it on the ground in front of them. We call that throwing down the gauntlet. You know what Joshua is doing in Joshua chapter 24? You know what he's doing in verse 15? He just threw down the gauntlet for Israel. He's challenging them. What's it going to be? Choose this day, not tomorrow, not next week, today. And how do the people respond? Look at verse 16. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now you hear that and you think, okay, Joshua's going to say, amen. This is exactly what he was hoping that they would say, right? He's going to congratulate them. Look at his response in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions, nor your sins, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. Now, wait a second. Why in the world is Joshua discouraging them? 
Why would he say to them in one moment, serve the Lord, and then turn right around a couple verses later and say, you can't serve the Lord? Well, listen, Joshua was not discouraging them. I believe, first of all, Joshua wanted them to understand how serious this decision is. He wants them to know that talk is cheap. Anybody can do this right here. He wants them to know that if they serve some other God, notice God said there is no forgiveness because God is holy, because God is just, and he must judge sin. Now, I'm going to come back to verses 19 and 20 in a few moments. But once again, the people hear this and they said, no, we will serve the Lord. Verse 25 says that Joshua made a covenant with them that day. This was not a new covenant. This was a new dedication, a new commitment to an old covenant. And it happened all because there was a courageous leader who was willing to stand up in front of all the people. He was willing to call them out and challenge them and ask them that question, whom will you serve? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, God put me here today for that very purpose, to stand before you and throw down the gauntlet and challenge you to make the same decision. Who will you serve and more specifically, what will you do with Christ? Choose this day. Joshua was a courageous leader because he reminded them of their story and he called them to a decision. And one more thing that he did, he left them a legacy. He left them a legacy. The rest of the chapter tells us that Joshua built a memorial so that they would remember the commitment that they had made that day. There are nine such memorials in the book of Joshua. This is the last one. And then I want you to notice in verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Oh, how I wish I could tell you that future generations, generation after generation of Israelites remembered the words of Joshua, heeded his warnings, and that they served the Lord. I wish I could tell you that that were true, but we know that it's not. In fact, we get to Joshua chapter 17, and it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Kind of sounds a lot like our society today, doesn't it? But I want you to notice this. The Bible says Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua's life. And not only that, but all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. In other words, that next generation that immediately followed, they served the Lord as well. So Joshua dies at the end of chapter 24, but his influence does not die. His influence keeps on living, and his spiritual tree continues to bear fruit even after he's gone. And so let me ask you a question. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? 
What kind of legacy are you going to leave? Some of you younger folks have never even considered this before. You think you're too young to consider your legacy. No, you are not. Even you need to ask yourself that question. When I think about leaving a legacy and what that means, I'm reminded of a story. There were two brothers who were born in Scotland about 200 years ago. One brother was named John Livingston. And John Livingston, while he was still a young man, perhaps a teenager, he decided that he was going to do whatever it took to make as much money as he could make, to be as wealthy as possible. And sure enough, he started a business he applied himself and he achieved that goal. Sure enough, John Livingston became a very wealthy man in his day. His little brother was named David Livingston. And if that name is familiar, it's because David Livingston would become a great missionary a famous missionary in Africa. But while he was still a very young man, he wrote the following words. He said, I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it is in relationship to the kingdom of God. David Livingston dedicated his life to taking the gospel to the remotest parts of Africa, and most of the time, there weren't even roads to get to the places that he preached. He had to make them. His entire life was characterized by loneliness and suffering and sacrifice. And yet even today, two centuries later, we continue to see the seeds of the gospel that he planted that are bearing fruit. Millions upon millions of people who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And did you know that many books, many books have been written about David Livingston, about his life and about his influence, about the impact that his life made for the gospel. Many books have been written about David Livingston. But what about John Livingston? That man who made so much money. His name appeared once in the Encyclopedia Britannica. And do you know what it said? John Livingston, brother of David Livingston. Two brothers who went in completely different directions. And you could say that they both accomplished what they set out to do, but only one of them left a legacy that is worth having. And so the question is, what will your legacy be? Joshua chapter 24, he called together the 12 tribes of Israel and he made a covenant with them. 2,000 years ago, Jesus called his 12 disciples. He gathered them together in the upper room and he said, 
I'm making a new covenant with you. He made a new covenant because the old covenant based on the law could not save us. I said I was going to go back to something Joshua said back in verse 19. Remember what he said when they initially replied, we will serve the Lord. He said, you cannot serve the Lord. In other words, you cannot perfectly serve the Lord. God is holy. God is jealous. He'll not forgive your sins if you choose to serve some other God. You see, Joshua understood something we had better understand. Joshua knew that they were not able to perfectly keep all of the laws and all of the commandments that were given to them in that covenant. And what Joshua said about them, we can say about ourselves. We are not able to keep the covenant. We are not covenant keepers. We are covenant keepers breakers and since we are covenant breakers we've got a problem because God is holy he's jealous and he must judge sin and so that's why 2,000 years ago God sent Jesus and you know what he did he came and he kept the law on our behalf every law we broke he kept everywhere we failed he succeeded not some of the time not most of the time listen every single time and then at the end of a perfect and sinless life Jesus accepted the punishment for breaking the covenant even though he kept it And he did that so that we could enjoy the blessings of having kept the covenant even though we broke it. And because Jesus did that, because he went to the cross and he died for you and for me, God can both judge sin and forgive sinners at the same time. And so once again, here we are, and there's a choice that has to be made, just as it was 3,400-some years ago when Joshua stood before the people and said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. I stand before you today and I ask you, Who will you serve? And I can also tell you, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You join me as we pray. Our Father, we thank you for Joshua and we thank you for this example, this courageous example that he set for the people and how he challenged them to make a decision, the most important decision that they would ever make. Whom will you serve? And Father, I can't help but think that there are probably some people here today in this room or watching right now online who are in that same place. They are at that spiritual crossroads and they must decide whom they will serve and particularly whether or not they will follow Christ. So God, how I pray that this would be that moment, this would be that day, not tomorrow, not next week, but today, they would choose today that they will serve and they will follow Christ. 
And Father, I pray also for those who are perhaps here in this room who really need to make a recommitment of that vow that they already made, just like Israel in Joshua 24. Sometimes we need to remember, sometimes we need to look back, and sometimes we just need to reaffirm, God, yes, I will serve you today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And so I pray for those who need to do that, who need to make a fresh commitment of their lives to you. Help us to see those areas of those pockets of resistance in our lives. Help us to see if there's some strongholds we've been ignoring that we need to confront, that we need to root out so that our lives would be completely surrendered and yielded to you. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. And before I close, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, anybody here that would say, I need to respond and I need to make that choice, the greatest choice of my life, whom will you serve? Remember, everybody's going to serve someone, whether you know it or not. Who will it be? Maybe this morning you're here and you need to say, Pastor, that's me. And I I want to say right now, yes, I will serve the Lord and I will follow Jesus Christ. Today, I want to come to him and surrender to him as Lord of my life. If that's you this morning, you've never taken that step, but you need to do so right now just so I can know and and pray with you and rejoice with you just by raising a hand. Is there anybody here that would say, that's me? I've never taken that step before, but right now I'm ready and I'm willing to say, yes, I will serve the Lord. I will follow Christ. I want to be saved. Anybody that would say that? And for those of you that are watching online, please, we want to hear from you as well. If that's you and God's calling you to make that choice, just like Joshua said, do it today. And so please let us know. Send a a text message to that number I shared with you earlier and click on the link and then tell us that decision that God is calling you to make. Or if you want to know more about that, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let us know, and we'll make an appointment. We'll sit down and talk with you and encourage you or counsel you in any way that we can. Uh, But but we want to help you to know Christ and to grow closer to him. All right. Well, praise the Lord.